Good morning. Well, this past week as I was uh, preparing a sermon, I came across the following quote. If you give your life away, then nobody can take it from you. I'll say that again. If you give your life away, nobody can take it from you. And it's, uh, it's with that thought in mind uh, that uh, I want to begin our sermon today, and it's with that thought in mind that I'd also like to invite you uh, to join me in a word of prayer. So let's pray. Oh Lord, may the words in my mouth and may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm curious, uh, what would you do if you were king for a day. For 24 hours, you're in charge of everything. What would you do? So I found myself uh, thinking this a couple of nights ago as I was uh, getting uh, one of our kids ready for bed. And uh, and bedtime in the Miller house uh, always involves a couple of things. It always involves things like going potty, brushing teeth, saying your prayers. But there's one thing that our kids uh, will never let me forget to do, and that is uh, reading a story uh, before bed. And uh, for the past week or so, uh, Jude and I have been on a real Daniel Tiger kick. And uh, before I commandeered it for our sermon today, uh, this particular Daniel Tiger book finding its way uh, to the top of the stack, I wonder... Daniel asks on the very first page, I wonder what kings do all day. Yeah, because it's a a children's book, uh, King Friday, he's the leader of the land of make-believe. He just so happens to be passing by. And so uh, Daniel races over towards him and he says, King Friday, King Friday, I have a question. What's it like being king? That's when uh, King Friday, he thinks about this uh, for a couple of moments. And the way that only a good king can, he says, uh, if you declare you King Daniel for the day. And that's when King Friday, uh, he puts his crown on top of Daniel's head. He sets up the rest of the book and he makes you start to wonder, what is Daniel going to do? You know, if you want to know uh, the way that uh, some kids might answer this question, you can do what I did this past week. Uh, you can go Google, what would kids do if they were king uh, for a day? And uh, what surprised me is that uh, their answers aren't so terribly bad, at least the ones I found myself reading. You know, things like, uh, I'd make less bad guys. And uh, I'd change all the unfair laws. And, uh, and every single day, every single day, I'd eat ice cream for breakfast. Not so terribly bad. You know, all this uh, brings me back to this moment that I had uh, a couple of nights ago. I'm uh, putting my son to bed, and we're reading this book, and this thought pops into my mind. What would I do if I were king for a day? You see, as we begin our sermon, I want us to take this question seriously. I mean, what would you do? What's the first thing that you would do? What's the second thing? And how would you fill 24 hours if, uh, if someone gave you that job for an entire day? And uh, I want you to take this question seriously. I want you to hold at least one of those answers in your mind. We're going to come back to it uh, a little bit later. Uh, but for right now, what I simply want to say is this. Today's reading from Matthew chapter 16, it gives us a picture of how a number of different people might answer this question. People 
and a guy named Peter, and, uh, and people like us. Uh, but the, the most important answer in today's reading comes from our Lord and Savior. The most important answer comes from Jesus. So what would you do if you were king for the day? And that, uh, that brings us uh, to the reading that I uh, just mentioned. And perhaps uh, the most important thing to know about today's reading is that today's reading is part two of a two-part story. And if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Mike, uh, he told us about part one of this story, about how uh, Jesus and his disciples had traveled all the way to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Maybe you remember that, uh, that Caesarea Philippi is about as far north as Jesus and his disciples go. It's about 30 miles north of uh, the Sea of Galilee where Jesus uh, and many of his disciples grew up. And it's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem uh, where Jesus uh, goes and dies for us. And it's, uh, it's called Caesarea uh, or Caesar's city because uh, it is not a Jewish city. It's a Gentile city. And there are a whole bunch of uh, Caesareas in the ancient world, and so uh, this Caesarea is named after the person who built it, a guy named Philip. And so we find Jesus and his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and part one of this story is all about Jesus' identity. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And eventually uh, that question gets pointed at Peter. Peter, who do you say that I am? And if you were here last week, you remember that, that Peter answers this question perfectly. He looks at Jesus, uh, and, and maybe with his chest puffed out, he says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and when Jesus hears his answer, he doesn't just give him a gold star. He, he gives him a blessing. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And then Jesus uh, goes on to say that, uh, that it's on a, a confession like this that he's going to build his church and that not even the gates of hell are going to come over it. And so part one of the story comes to a close. Peter is looking like he's got it all together. And that sets the stage for this, uh, this very surprising and yet also this very troubling thing that happens next. Now, if you, uh, if you happen to have a bulletin nearby... I'm going to go ahead and pull it out, and uh, I want you to open it up uh, to today's gospel reading. It's on page five. Uh, it's just above uh, the children's message. And uh, once you got that open, I want you to look down at the, the very first verse in today's reading, verse 21. You see, uh, this verse, uh, it's important for a number of different reasons, uh, but the most important of which uh, is that it marks a major transition in Jesus' ministry. You see, up until this point, uh, Jesus' ministry has had a pretty broad focus. I mean, he's been preaching and teaching. He's been helping and healing. He's been gathering a whole bunch of disciples and showing them what the kingdom of God is all about. But now Jesus' ministry is beginning to focus. Or uh, in the context of last week's reading, uh, Jesus is beginning to tell his disciples what it means to be the Messiah. What does that look like? Jesus' ministry begins to take some focus as he answers that question, and what is he going to do? You know, what strikes me about this, uh, this verse is that we know what Jesus is going to do. We know that, uh, as Jesus said, that he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. 
We know this. But you see, if you're, uh, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, if you're Peter, uh, for example, in today's reading, you don't know this at all. Actually, you, uh, you have spent your whole life living that the opposite of this is true, that the Messiah comes not to suffer and die, but rather that the Messiah comes to, suffer, uh, to conquer and rule. Uh, that he's going to do things like kick the Romans out of town. That he's going to climb the throne of his ancestor David and that he's going to uh, usher in a new era of peace and prosperity for all. And so if you're Peter in today's reading, this is what you know about the Messiah. You see in all sorts of things to reinforce uh, this vision of who the Messiah is. I mean, you've watched as Jesus raised a dead girl. You've watched as he fed the thousands. You've watched as he walked on water, and then he helped you uh, to walk too. And so it's a little surprise that if you're Peter in today's reading, that you respond the way that you do. Jesus tells you that this is what it means to be the Messiah, and you look at him and you say, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And why on earth would you go to Jerusalem and die? Is that you must feel when Jesus looks back at you and he says, get behind me, Satan, because you're the stumbling block. Not the elders, not the chief priests, not the teachers of the law. You are the stumbling block because you have in th mind not the things of God, but instead, the things of men. Now, to, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I have never made Peter's mistake. You see, uh, between October 6, 1986, and uh, this morning, I have never not wanted Jesus to go to Jerusalem. And I've also never not wanted Jesus uh, to suffer and to die and to rise again. And I'm going to go on a limb here and guess uh, that the same is probably true for you, that at some point, you know, maybe you wonder, did these things really happen? But you've never not wanted them to take place. You've never not wanted Jesus to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise again. And so in a certain sense, what happens in today's reading applies uniquely to Peter. Because Jesus doesn't need to call us out. He doesn't need to call us Satan because he's already accomplished the work that he set out to do. And so in a certain sense, it only applies to Peter. But you see, in another sense, uh, there is a mistake in today's reading that we do make. And, uh, and this mistake has to do with what Jesus says in verse 23. It's that bit about not having in mind the things of God but instead having in mind the things of men. You know, a little earlier in our sermon, I, I asked you, uh, what would you do if you were king for a day? And uh, I'm going to guess that you probably answered that question a whole lot like Daniel Tiger. <laughs> that when you answered that question, uh, you probably thought of a bunch of things that you wanted to accomplish. You know, in this story, uh, Daniel Tiger, he has, uh, he has several things that he wants to accomplish. Uh, he wants to go to the bakery and, uh, and get a bunch of treats. And, uh, and he wants to go to the music store and get an instrument. 
And they want us to take those things all the way to the castle where King Friday is and give them to him at the end of the day. And you know, the tragedy in the story is that Daniel does none of these things. I mean, he goes to the bakery, gets some treats, but then he gives them away. And he goes to the music store, and he gets an instrument, and then he gives them away. And so at the end of the day, he, uh, he arrives at the castle, he, he stands before King Friday, and, uh, and the look on his face and the words that come out of his mouth indicate that he feels pretty foolish. I think that, uh, that sometimes the life of faith can feel like this. Uh, that what Jesus calls us to do following him can feel kind of foolish or, or like being a failure. I think that's why it's uh, so easy to object uh, or reject uh, what he says in today's reading. And you know, he goes on to tell us what it looks like to have the things of God in mind. That it means denying ourselves that it means taking up our cross, that it means following or patterning our lives after his. And when we do this well, when we do this really well, we do it because we know how the story ends. We know that the tomb is empty. We know that one day Jesus is going to come back, and we know that when he does, he's going to put our broken, hurting, sinful world back together again. I mean, there's going to be a new creation, and we're going to be with Jesus forever. And so that's the promise he makes the hope we have. You see, the rub is that part hasn't happened yet. You see, I think that's why the the temptation we face is uh, the temptation to take things into our own hands, to follow ourselves and not Jesus. Because waiting for him is hard. And doing what he does, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following him, loving our enemies, praying for our persecutors, done us wrong. These things can seem pretty foolish. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. And this is why we don't have to wonder what Jesus would do if he were king for a day. I mean, if King Jesus was king for a day, we know what he would do. He'd go to Jerusalem. He'd suffer. He'd die. You see, the good news uh, The good news is that Jesus isn't just king for a day. He's king for all the days. Because he rises again, we know that he has the victory. You know, the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they try to stop Jesus. Even Peter, in today's reading, tries to stop Jesus. But nothing can stop Jesus because God is on a mission and nothing is going to stop God from accomplishing the thing that he sets out to do. And so one day he is going to put our broken, hurting world back together again. And nothing, not even death, is going to stop Jesus. And that's the promise we have, that though we may die Yet shall we live. You see, that's what enables us to follow him. That's what enables us to pattern our lives after him. But you see, being a Christian may not always make our lives easier. Computers, forgiving those who do us wrong. It isn't always easy. But Jesus is king. And Jesus is going to come again. And so we can't follow him. And we can give everything away. On a day like today, in a place like this, for the hope of the world and the glory of God. 
And the beautiful thing about doing something like this, like I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, is that when you give your life away, what Jesus shows us is that nobody can take it from you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.